That's what we believe builds the church when God's Spirit, for God's glory, works through His Word to build up His church. And so, because of that, I don't have to be, uh, not to be super fancy or creative. It's not about the programs that we have or any of that kind of stuff. It's about, it's about God's Spirit working through God's Word to build up God's church. And so, that's why on Sunday mornings when we gather together, we're typically just opening up a book of the Bible. It's easiest to understand God's Word when you start at the beginning of a book and you go to the end of a book. So that's typically what we're doing. Now we're going through the book of Romans, which is a long book. We're just actually starting by going through chapters 1 through 4 between the beginning of this new year and Easter. And we'll pick it up in chapter 5 some other time. haven't determined exactly when yet. But we're going through 1 through 4 now, and we've already made it through chapter 1. So we're starting chapter 2 today. Uh, the fifth sermon in the series, and we're actually just going to spend two weeks in chapter 2, and then a few weeks in chapter 3, and just one week to do the whole of chapter 4. So not too much longer, and we'll be done with the first quarter of this letter, which is probably the most important and influential letter ever written. Uh, and so we expect that God will do a work in us individually, and in us as a church, as we read His Word and study His Word in the book of Romans. Here's what's happened. If you haven't been here, if you have been here, it's good review. Chapter 1, we got started with a gospel greeting from Paul and then an expression of Paul's desire to be in gospel ministry together. That he desperately wanted to be with the people in Rome, that he might make sure that they understand and are enjoying and living the life that, that's made possible by the gospel. And he wants to make sure that they together can get the gospel out to lots more people around Rome and all the way to Spain. And he recognizes that Paul is not going to pull this off by himself. It's the church working together in gospel ministry. And then Paul introduced the theme of the whole letter in verses 16 and 17, where it says, For it is the power of it, sorry, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, he said. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's verses 16 and 17. It's really the theme of the whole letter. The whole letter is going to be about this good news. Good news about God's righteousness, about God's salvation, about God's power. That's what the book is going to be about. And so we're going to get to a, a longer and, and, and glorious explanation of that gospel in chapter 3. And it's going to continue after that. But before we get there, Paul has been setting the stage for that by helping us to realize how bad the bad news is. Because gospel just means good news. And before he really lays out the good news in detail, he's making sure that we get a real grasp of the bad news. And so, chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, was addressed mainly to the Gentiles in Rome. Recognizing that their main problem, and there's the picture, that God has created all things, and in doing so has revealed truth about Himself. What we're supposed to do with that is see the truth and worship the God who made all things. But what has happened amongst many people in the world at that time and in our world still today, is we set aside or suppress the truth 
about God and exchange it for lies, for worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator, right? And so God then gives them over. Those who reject him and fail to honor him as God, God gives them over to all sorts of things which were listed in verses, the verses that we looked at last week. And so he spends a good deal of time on sexual immorality and homosexuality. And then he gets into this list where he's got, in three verses, 21 sins listed. Okay? So the kinds of sins that people have are many. The kinds of sins that we deal with are many. But last week, we focused on the fact that all those are symptoms of the greater problem. And all those are things that God gives people over to because... They have not responded to him by honoring him as God and worshiping him. They haven't trusted in Jesus, and so sin is just what naturally takes place. So the hope is not to get people to to be better people. Our goal is not to get bad people to start getting less bad. Our goal is to have people hear the good news about Jesus and believe it and worship God as God trusting that out of that there's going to be repentance of sin that comes along with it. It's kind of two sides of the same coin. Right? So that's what we've been looking at. Now, we're at a spot this week where, where if you're a Jewish person listening in, you're kind of thinking, that's right, Paul, you tell those bad, nasty Gentiles how bad they are because they've suppressed the truth about God. They have no excuse. They're under the wrath of God. All the stuff that Paul just said. And they're probably thinking, yeah, Paul, you tell them. But Paul is going to this week in chapter 2 start turning around and saying, listen, you got a problem too. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine, and none of you, of course, would do this, right? But imagine that you are at school and uh, at lunchtime a massive food fight breaks out. Okay? So there's this massive food fight that's broken out in the school cafeteria. People are catapulting mixed vegetables from their spoons, right? You've got, you've got one kid who's partially not hearing well anymore because he got applesauce in his ear, and there's, there's ketchup in people's eyes, and they're, they're throwing around these little things. They actually serve these at school. They call them rib ticklers. It's like bouncy meat uh, all pressed together. And, and, and so people are, are throwing rib ticklers at each other, and they're bouncing all over the place. Um, and, and so that, that's the situation. It's just a mess. There's chocolate milk and puddles all over the tables and all over the floor, and the principal walks in. Okay? The principal walks in, and he walks in, and right at the center table, which of course, because it's in the center, has the most of the stuff all over the place. And the kids at that center table are the kids that typically get in trouble a lot. Right? And you see the principal talking to them. Of course, you're the good people. You're sitting over in the corner. You were participating, but... He would never expect it because you're on the student council and, uh, and you meet with him every week and he's chosen. You, like, so so you, you think you're good. You're sitting over in the corner. You're kind of chuckling because they're getting in trouble again and you didn't get caught. And then he all of a sudden turns his attention away from them and starts walking directly towards you. And your heart skips a beat as you realize, uh-oh, I think I just got caught too. I think that's the way the Jewish believers would have heard what Paul is doing here as we come into Romans chapter 2. It's kind of this, yeah, yeah, you tell them, they're in trouble again, look at all the bad stuff, and then he's like, hold on, you too. Bad news is not just for the Gentiles, it's also for the religious Jewish people. 
So that's what we see in Romans chapter 2. We're going to go through the first 16 verses today. We already prayed together uh, that God would speak through it. And so let's go ahead and stand if you're able to as I read Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Romans 2, here is the word of God. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. But do you suppose, O man, that you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. While their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them, on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. You can be seated. Now, you may have been, as I was reading that, tracking with me until I got to verse 12, and it's like, whoa, what was that? I mentioned to Kirsten last night and to the elders this morning that, you know, as I go back very often in ministry, whether I'm counseling with people, whether it's for my own personal growth and faith in Jesus, whether I'm teaching, I go back to Romans all the time. The two chapters that I hardly ever go back to are Romans chapter 2 and Romans chapter 16. Uh, and so these are hard. Uh, it's good, really good. And so I'm, I'm looking forward. I, I had a good time studying it. Hopefully, what I'm able to do by God's power through God's Spirit is help us understand Romans chapter 2 and how it fits into the book of Romans as a whole. Okay? So Romans chapter 2, you notice in your bulletin there's an outline there that might help you as you follow along. I didn't just put in, because this is a harder one to follow along with, I didn't just put in the main points, I even put in the sub-points as well to maybe help you out a little bit more, uh, or maybe not. Um, but, but hopefully that is helpful. 
There's also, of course, in there our life group guides because as we get together during the week in our life groups, we want to dig a little bit deeper. There's maybe some stuff that I can't cover as I'm preaching that you want to dig deeper into, not just so that we can know more stuff, but so that God's Word changes how we think and how we live. Okay, So that's what's going to be happening, hopefully, as we go through Romans, uh, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the rest of the week in our life groups. So, Romans chapter 2, first point in the first five verses is this. You think you're okay? Question mark? You think you're okay? Here's the big, big principle. It's not okay. It's not good. It's not good to think that you're okay when you're really not. Right? Whether that comes to your performance on the job, whether that comes to your marriage, whether that comes to your, your health, it's not good to think you're okay when you're really not. Okay? And that's part of the problem that the people are facing that Paul is addressing here in verses 1 to 5. They think they're okay, but they're really not. Okay? And one result of thinking that you're okay is you start to think that problems are what everybody else has. Sin is what everybody else does. Judgment is what everybody else deserves. Right? And so, you can very easily and quickly get into this spot where you begin to judge others because you think sin is their problem and not your problem. And that's what Paul is addressing here in verses 1 and 2. Did you hear that as I was reading it? It says, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. Now, is he going to come down on people for judging? Here's a question you're going to talk about in your life groups this week. Is it okay for Christians to judge others? Okay. Notice that what Paul is doing here is he's not condemning him them for judging alone. He's condemning, he's talking about them re- deserving God's judgment. Why? Listen, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Right? Their problem is not necessarily judging in and of itself. Their problem is they're judging others while they're doing the same things they're judging other people for. That's a problem, right? So when we think that we're okay, we judge others while doing what they do. Paul says, no, you should know better. Verse 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Right? He's telling them, listen, you've got the law. You know that God's judgment rightly falls on those who practice such things. But here you are judging them while you yourself are doing the very same thing. You're not okay. Verse 3, when we think we're getting away with it, we don't repent. Okay? Look at verse 3. Do you suppose, oh man, you who, and he reiterates it, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? And he's saying, listen, you're just as guilty as they are, but here you are judging them. Don't you, do you think like somehow God's going to let you off the hook? You special in some way that, that it's okay for you to sin in that way, but it's not okay for them to sin in that way? And they might be the, the troublemaker sitting at the center table, but you've been flinging your mixed veggies off your spoon from the corner too, right? Let's look at verse 4. Verse 4 says this. Or do you presume, this is a problem, or do you presume 
on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Jewish people would be thinking, listen, I'm gathered together with God's people each week. I honor the Sabbath. I keep God's law. I've got Abraham's blood running through my veins. And I know God. I've read my Bible. I've read the Old Testament. We have a God who is kind, who is patient. So they might assume that they're doing okay because of all those things. He's saying, are you presuming on the kindness and forbearance and patience of God, not knowing that God's kindness is not towards you because you're just fine? God's kindness is not towards you because you've got Abraham's blood running through your veins. God's kindness is towards you so that you have time to repent. God's kindness is given to us that we might repent. It's meant to lead us to repentance, not to lead us to believe the lie that I think I'm okay. I think I'm doing good. I mean, God hasn't struck me down yet, so I guess I must be fine. They've misunderstood the purpose of God's kindness. Have you misunderstood the purpose of God's kindness? You might look at your life and say, listen, I'm doing fine. Compare myself to other people. I'm doing better than most other people. And it looks, I mean, if God was going to judge me, it sure doesn't feel like judgment. My life's going along just fine. Might be where you're at. But God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Verse 5. We're actually storing up wrath for the day when God's righteous judgment is revealed. If we're in a spot when we think we're okay and we're really not, we're storing up wrath. Verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The day of judgment's coming. And if you continue to think that sin is other people's problem and you're doing just fine, then that shows that you've got a hard and impenitent heart and your hard and impenitent heart is storing up for you wrath on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. This is heavy stuff. Stuff that I think we need to wrestle with. We'll talk more about it personally a little bit later. But let's go to verses 6 through 11. Now, verses 6 through 11, I want you to note the structure of this. This happens a lot in the Old Testament, uh, sometimes in the New Testament. It's kind of like a sandwich, okay? So if you go to the next slide, you can kind of see how this works. That's why we're looking at verses 6 and 11 together, verses 7 and 10 together, verses 8 and 9 together, okay? I'm going to go to the next slide, Chance. Um, all right, so that's what it looks like. Verses 6 and 11 talk about judgment, okay? Verses 7 and 10 talk about doing good, and verses 8 and 9 talk about doing evil, okay? So we're kind of, that's the way he talks about it. We're going to put 6 and 11 together because they go together. We're going to put 7 and 10 together because they go together, 8 and 9, okay? So let's look at 6 and 10 first, or 6 and 11. Here's what verse 6 says. He, God, will render to each one according to his works. God's judgment is going to be on the basis of works. Verse 11, for God shows no partiality. That's another thing we know about God's judgment. God is going to impartially judge people on the basis of their works. It's not going to be based on whether they have Abraham's blood running through their veins or not. It's not going to be, it's going to be 
a judgment based on works. God will render to each one according to his works. And God is going to be impartial. He's going to be a fair judge. So let's look at how. What are the options? Okay, if God's a fair judge and his judgment is based on works, I mean, if you're thinking of it very generally, which is what Paul looks at here, you're either good or bad. Okay? So, so the good people, will, if God's a just God, the good people who do good things will get a reward, and the bad people who do bad things will get punished. Right? That's what we're going to see here in verses 7 through 10. Now, some of you, like I can see your, your brows are like, hold on, that's not what I, we'll get there, just a second. Okay? Verses 7 and 10. I'm just, I mean, that's what it says, right? God will render to each one according to his works. God's judgment is based on works. Verse 7, this is why, this is why you don't go back to chapter 2 all the time, right? Verse 7, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Verse 10, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. Right? So the people that are doing good and seeking after good things, they're the ones who get rewarded with eternal life. You, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not, that's what it says in verses 7 and 10. Those who are doing good things, good people doing good things get eternal life. God is a just judge. Now, because some of you are like raising your brow, I am too, Right? But we got to remember, this is where you can, you can rip stuff out of context and it really messes with it. Messes with the real meaning of it. Remember that Paul is setting up an argument that's going to be, in, to some degree, um, completed. Not completed, but, but dealt with in more detail in chapter 3. Paul is saying, yes, God judges everyone according to works. And, and because he's a just judge, anybody who's righteous and good will be rewarded. And so you might be thinking, oh good, then there's hope for me. Because compared to most people, I'm pretty good. So I guess that if I keep being pretty good, that I'm going to get rewarded by God. I'm going to get eternal life because I'm good. Turn to chapter 3. I, I can't wait. Like I'd love to build the suspense, but not all of you are going to be back uh, February 21st when we finally get to this. And so let's look at this. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Okay, you see where Paul is going with this? So he's saying, yes! God is a just judge. He will reward the righteous. They will receive eternal life. And he's going to get us to the point where in chapter 3 he says, hold on. No one is righteous. No one does good. Right? Does that make sense? All right. Let's look at uh, verses 8 and 9. Wrath and distress for all who do evil. Back in chapter 2. Verses 8 and 9 say this. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first 
and also the Greek. Notice how many times he does that. The Jew first and also, listen, it's for everybody. He's trying to get the point across. The Jewish people were thinking, yes, wrath of God for people, yes, for them, that's good. But then for Paul, for them to hear Paul addressing them and saying, there will be wrath and fury, tribulation and distress for all who do evil, for the Jew first and also the Greek, that the wrath of God is not just for them, it's for all who do evil. Okay, so, so, so you start to see that, that he, he's setting up for this, like, where, where there's this tension. Like, okay, so if that's, I get it, God's a just judge. He's going to judge righteously. And everybody who's righteous and good gets eternal life. Everybody who's evil and bad and does evil and bad things, they get wrath and fury. But then pretty soon he's going to say, but nobody does good. So then we're, what's the answer? Paul, give us something. That doesn't sound very hopeful. That's not good news. That's really, really bad news. Okay, we'll get there. Not yet. We need to ask ourselves this question. If God were to judge you for your works, which is what he will do, would he find you to be one who always does good? Do you think you're going to be one who escapes God's judgment because you've been good enough? According to chapter 3, no. Has God been kind to you so far? Are you still doing all right? Maybe. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Don't misunderstand God's kindness and say, well, because he's been kind, I guess I must be doing all right. We don't like to think of ourselves as the people in verses 8 and 9, people who obey unrighteousness, self-seeking. Oh, that's not us. That's other people, right? I'm not self-seeking. I always obey the truth. That's us. All right. Transition to this last point, though. How do we know that we deserve God's wrath? Anytime there's judgment that's coming, the judgment is based on something. So a criminal breaks the law, and they're judged on the basis of the fact that they broke the law, right? There has to be some kind of standard for judgment, right? What's God's standard for judgment? Well, God gets to determine the standard for his judgment. It's his law. And so verses 12 to 16, kind of tough to grasp. If we slow down now, I would love to spend, in a Bible study, we would, I'd start writing stuff on the board. We'd get all into verses 12 to 16, and I think you'd understand them. I don't know that we'll get there in this sermon. Um, in your life group, hopefully you spend a little more time uh, working on that. A some pressure on the life group leaders. Uh, but you're going to spend a little more time uh, working on that. But here's, here's kind of the basics of what we see in verses 12 to 16. For Jewish people... The standard of God's judgment is the law of God, which they have written out. God wrote it for them initially on stone tablets and was, was written then in the law of Moses, right? So, so they have the Old Testament. They want to know what God's standard is. Look at the Bible, okay? Their Bible at the, at the time, the Old Testament. They want to know what God's standard is. That's what they're going to be judged by, that standard. Some of them, very religious, trying really hard to obey all of the laws of the Old Testament. And they're going to be judged by that. Now notice in verse 13, I think it is, look at 13. It ends with saying, but the doers, it says, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So for the Jewish people that are thinking, yeah, 
yeah, we got the standard. I've read the book. I've memorized good portions of it. I went to Hebrew school and learned it really, really well. My dad's a Pharisee. I think I'm good. And Paul is saying to them in verse 13, I think it was that I just read, listen, just because you've heard the law, that doesn't make you righteous. Have you done the law? The ones that are going to be justified, which means declared righteous, the ones who are going to stand up at judgment as God is going to say to them, you're righteous, are not just the ones that have heard the law, it's the ones that have done the law. And again, we get to chapter 3, who's done the law? We'll get there in just a moment. But before we get there, he's getting to verses 14 through 16. Because there are people that are not Jewish. They have not grown up. And Rome Rome is filled with people that are not Jewish. The people that Paul was addressing in chapter 1, they're engaged in all sorts of sin. They're worshiping false gods. They haven't read the Old Testament. They didn't go to Hebrew school. They They may have never even heard the Ten Commandments before. Right? And so... So you might wonder, so, so what's the deal for them? What are, are they, what's the standard for God's judgment against them? And well, it's still the law. Verse 14 says this, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. Okay, so these things, sometimes, listen, <laughs> sometimes these pagans who've never even opened the Bible... They've never even heard the Ten Commandments. Sometimes they're actually good people. They actually do the right thing every once in a while. Right? But, verse 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Why are, why are people sometimes good, even if they're not Christians? It's because the work of the law is written on our hearts. God's given us what it says here, a conscience. Well, their conscience also bears witness. Part of the, the way that God has, has wired us as humans is He's given us a conscience so we know what good is, we know what bad is. But it fails us sometimes, right? So sometimes we're, our thoughts are accusing us, sometimes excusing us. Just so we know, the conscience is not as good of a revelation of the law of God as God's law is. Okay, if you really want to know God's law, you've got to open up the Bible and go through it. But even if you've never opened up a Bible before, you can know that right is right and wrong is wrong, right? I just heard this week, um, Adolf Eichmann uh, was the um, architect, they call him, of the final solution, the Nazi plan to eradicate all Jewish people from the face of the earth. Adolf Eichmann uh, actually, towards the end of the war, escaped and, and lived in, I think it was Brazil for a period of time until they finally caught him. And it was not until 1962... Uh, where he had been on trial and was given the death penalty, the only person up to that point in, in Israel's history, uh, the modern nation of Israel, to, to receive the death penalty, right, for his crimes against humanity in war. He was the one that came up with the, the, the horrible plan, the Holocaust. Um, he, he's the one that, that architected the whole thing to make that work, right? You know what? They just released like two weeks ago, Israel did, this letter um, that he had written to the president uh, of Israel at the time, uh, where he was pleading that he would be pardoned for what he did. And in that letter, here's what he said. This guy, who, who committed uh, one of the most horrific acts in all of human history, said, I do not feel myself to be guilty. So our conscience isn't always, it is going to fail us, right? 
that, 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 that sometimes are, are conscious, like even somebody who's done something as horrible and, and as that could say, I, I don't feel myself to be guilty, really, right? God has a standard for judgment. It is his law. He's given us a conscience, which, which sometimes works, but we can, we can get to a point where we can suppress the truth and trick ourselves into thinking that we're really not all that bad. Verse 16 just says this. Verse 16 is the last verse that we're looking at today. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. God is going to judge us on the basis of works. The bad news in that is none of us are good. None of us are righteous on our own. But did you notice what Paul said in verse 16? A little glimmer of the good news in verse 16. Did you catch it? Verse 16 says, On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. That's the first time we've seen Jesus in this whole passage. In verse 16. Our hope is that the God who judges on the basis of our works with the standard of His law, which proves that we're all guilty, that God also judges on the basis of the gospel or the good news about Jesus. Here's the good news. I want to go ahead and you can turn there if you want. The good news is in 2 Corinthians 5. I'll get to that in just a second. You go ahead and turn there. I mean, you find it all over the place, but that's where we're going to look at it. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, where will I stand before God on the day of judgment? You ask yourself that question? On the day of judgment that the Bible says is coming, where will I stand before God? If God's judgment is on the basis of works according to the law, is he going to find me guilty or not guilty? And if we're honest, as the mirror of God's law is held up to us, we have to say he's going to find me guilty. Maybe not as guilty as some, but I'm guilty of breaking the law, right? And if God's judgment is based on my works, then I'm in a whole lot of trouble. Has there ever been a person, Jew or Gentile, who has perfectly kept not just the letter of God's law, but the, the, the spirit of God's law? Well, not you. I don't even know you that well, maybe. I know some of you pretty well. Some of you I don't know very well at all, but I can tell you it's not you. You have not perfectly kept the letter and the spirit of God's law. I can tell you it's not me. I know myself pretty well. I know it's not me. Is there anybody? I mean, that, if God's only going to reward with eternal life those who have perfectly kept the law, has anybody done that? Well, the good news is, yeah, one. One person has done that. His name is Jesus. He fulfilled the law by living a perfectly obedient life. Right? And then he deserved to be rewarded for that. He's the only one who's ever deserved the reward. But rather than take his reward immediately, he instead chose to willingly put himself on the cross, be, be executed on the cross. And instead of taking the reward, he takes the penalty. He takes our sin on himself and is penalized, is, is executed, is punished, endures the wrath of God for our sin. 
He stands in our place so that anyone who trusts in Him will be saved. How do you get saved? Well, you get saved by being perfectly righteous, by being declared righteous by the judge. How do you get declared righteous by the judge? Not by trying really hard to be a lot better. The judge would laugh at that. Really, you're trying really hard to be a lot better, or you didn't know any better, you never read the law? Nobody's going to get away with that in our legal system, hopefully. Like, well, I never read the law. I didn't know that. Well, still the law, whether you read it or not, and you're judged on the basis of it, and you're clearly guilty. All the evidence points towards a guilty verdict for each and every one of us. The only one who is not guilty is Jesus. How do we then get his record instead of our record? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The end of verse 20 and then end of verse 21, here's what it says. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. How do we get to become the righteousness of God? How do we get declared righteous? Again, we're going to hear more about that in the book of Romans, but it comes when we repent of our sin, we agree with God about sin, say, I don't want that anymore, I want Jesus now. I'm not okay with my sin, I know you're not okay with my sin, I want Jesus now. I know that He's the only one who can stand up under your judgment. And so I want to find myself in Him. I'm not going to bring you my own record. All I have to bring you is the record of Jesus, who perfectly obeyed on my behalf. Our ability, listen, our ability to be in a right relationship with God is based on works. The good news is it's not on our works, but it's on His. Right? Our ability to stand up under the judgment of God and not experience the wrath of God is based on works, but it's not based on our works. It's based on the works of Jesus. Do you trust Him? Whose works are you hanging your eternal destiny on? Are you hanging your eternal destiny on your own works or on the works of Jesus our Savior? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit who helps me even as I try and study and then try and communicate it. I pray that your spirit would continue to be at work even now as, as people wrestle with it a little bit more. Um, there would be all sorts of things that would draw our attention in other directions um, this afternoon. But God, I pray um, that, that there would be some sort of restlessness in the hearts of anyone who is here who has been depending on their own record to find approval from you, who believes right now even still that they're going to stand on the day of judgment because they're really pretty good. God, forgive us when we judge others for sin, thinking that, that sin is their problem and not our problem, Well, we do the very same thing. And would you help us this day to acknowledge our sin as sin, recognize that we're not okay, that we would respond to your kindness and your patience toward us by repenting of our sin, by turning from it, by trusting in Jesus. And as we trust in him in, in receiving 
the righteousness of God, being given his record in place of our own dirty, sinful record. It's our only hope. So, God, I pray that that would be the work that's done in our hearts. And we're going to sing here in a little bit that righteousness is what I long for and righteousness is what you need. We can't attain that righteousness by working a little bit harder. That righteousness is given to us as a gift through faith in Jesus. I pray that if there are people here this morning that are wrestling with that and haven't yet trusted in the righteousness of Jesus rather than in their own, that they would repent, that they would talk to somebody and and, and work through that uh, with somebody even yet today. Thank you for the work that you do in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.